There once was a griff that put to sea. The name of the scam was Lincoln P. The tweets blew up. The truth was known. Their game came crashing down. Hey! hey! Soon may the Weaver men come, DMing boys who are way too young. One day when the grifting is done, we'll take our cash and go. Stephen, Rick, and Reed, and George, Ron, and Mike, and dozens more swindled hapless donors for nothing in return. Hey! hey! Soon, Soon may the Weaver men come, DMing boys who are way too young. One day when, when the grifting is done, we'll take our cash and go. Donors and the press found out what the scam was all about. With the future plans endowed, the ship was sunk for sure. Hey, hey! Soon, soon may the weaker men come, the enemy boys were way too young. young. One day, day the Griffin is done, done, we'll take our cash and go. Half the staff jumped ship in fear, knowing that the end was near. But the founders in a single year made a hundred million bucks. Hey! hey! Soon, Soon may the weaker men come, the enemy boys are way too young. young. One day the weaker men will take our cash and so that's the tale of Lincoln P. All graft and bad philosophy. Here's some good advice for free. Don't try fucking kid. Hey! Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. A very, very special variety program of Ruthless. Two Fridays in a row, I might add. Yeah, now that's what I call a sea shanty. I Given mean, that was just gold. the people what they want. Yeah, and I mean, we really didn't have a we really didn't have a choice. You know, we had to do. It was an emergency pod was required. We're going to go in. We have we have a tremendous guest today. We have Senator Rand Paul who's going to be discussing impeachment. So this is going to be the impeachment emergency pod. And then, you know, what do you know? Lincoln Project finally begins to disintegrate right before our eyes. So we've got a doubleheader on that. You're entirely right, Smug. We intended to spend a half an hour educating listenership on the status of impeachment, which, and honestly, like Rand Paul takes care of it in 10 minutes. He does yeah. He does the soup to nuts. He's terrific. Uh, everybody will enjoy that. But we got a lot of other news. We got a lot of other news to get to. Lots of news. Lots of news to get into. So, you know, I mean, first of all, congratulations to us on the updated Weaver Man. Yeah, I, I mean, that's another banger. I'm, I'm anticipating the Grammy nomination. I don't know when it comes out or what process is involved. Already picking out my outfit to attend the Grammys. I feel like we should make it a ringtone on somebody's phone. Too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's going on mine. Duncan, I know you know how computers and such work. You got to help make that happen. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I got you covered. All I'm saying is if, if Andrew Cuomo can win an Emmy, we should be able to win a Grammy. That's Ooh, there yay, it is. Yay, which is another piece of news. Like, oh, hold on yeah, a second. Wow. That guy, now we find out from <laughs> second in command that all of a sudden he is he's spiking data on how many old people they killed in nursing homes. Yeah, you know what? I mean, Governor DeSantis must apologize <laughs> because Cuomo's aides were hiding numbers. They were cooking the books on how many seniors they're killing. Wow. I feel like hiding it from the like, feds. I feel like today is a real like 
we told you so episode. Oh yeah. It really feels like it, right? That's what I'm going to do. That will be the theme of this episode is we told you so. Yeah. I think that's going to be the name of the episode. Hell. I think it was like, I think it was like eight or nine days ago. We recorded a podcast where I predicted that these Lincoln project folks would be at each other's throats in six months. I remember that. I mean, I I didn't know it was going to be six days, but (laughs) uh, I mean, we were right. It's a hundred percent right. That the Cuomo stuff. Where mm-hmm. else have you gotten that content, by the way, than the Ruthless Variety exactly. program? Exactly. You know, and I pointed it out. You know, I had I had a tweet where I said that all this, you know, the information about the Lincoln Project grift had been known. I personally, over a year ago, have been sending the FEC reports. Rob Pyers on Twitter is a great person to follow. By the way, he he goes through the data. Rob Pyers had all the FEC reports on how those folks were just eating up all the money. I had been sending it to journalists a year ago saying, hey, maybe you should write a story about this. Maybe you should pay attention. Crickets. Now that, they, you know, now that they've outlived their use to the left, which includes journalists, now that they have Biden, they don't need the Lincoln Project. So they're like, okay, whatever. Toss these guys. And that, and that is what we told you on the Variety program. Mm-hmm. We told you that these guys who have been crowned prince of political journalism over the last six months would outlive their usefulness the day the, after the election. Yep. And they stop attacking and stop doing, and then all of a sudden now is the time to look into them, right? Oh, all yeah. this stuff had been going on all along. Like nobody noticed that John Weaver just, I don't know, suddenly evaporated from the scene midsummer. Yeah. 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 Right? I mean, it's, it was, it was clearly, and now you're seeing from these like texts and messages from the Associated Press who has the story, from the New York Times who have the story, those folks knew what was going on. There were multiple people who worked at the Lincoln Project who, who, who in writing, put forth these complaints of what Weaver was up to. So let's, let's, let's hone in on some of that because just yeah, so much there. information yeah, has, has happened here just in the last 24 to 48 hours. So let's, let's break it down for the listeners here. What's the latest with Lincoln Project? So you recall about a week ago, there were stories starting to percolate in the Associated Press and others just about how much money they'd paid themselves, right? They'd raised $90 million, like $50 million had been uh, allocated to the partners of this outfit, which is, I mean, it's just absurd. But like, that's, that's the grift that Smug was talking about all along. Then there started to be this, this slow leak of discussion about John Weaver in particular and the potential impropriety that he had with young men and that he had uh, allegedly reached out to a number of young men uh, eager to get into politics, uh, essentially offering them an opportunity in politics if they got to know him a little better, right? And so that is just sort of exploded. Today's headline that uh, our boy Yasher wrote about is that the FBI is investigating allegations against John Weaver. And I'll just read the lead. Wow. Yeah. The FBI is investigating allegations against longtime GOP political consultant and Lincoln Project co-founder John Weaver, according to two sources who said they were contacted by FBI agents. Those sources told me that the agents inquired whether Weaver had ever touched them inappropriately or sent requested sexually explicit material when they were underage. Wow. Yikes. My God. I mean, so 
what's happened is the rats are jumping off the ship. Yep, that's right. We called it. And you see, you know, last week it was the Ron Steslo guy. The one guy we haven't heard of because he jumped off a few weeks before that was that Mike Madrid guy. Remember, mm-hmm. he was all in the middle of it right up until mm-hmm. kind of mid-fall. And then he, nobody's talked to him, right? But the reason why those people are important is because of the New York Times headline today that says that former Lincoln Project workers ask to be released from their non-disclosure agreements. Wow. So all these guys presumably have been under non-disclosure agreements about what the Lincoln Project knew about John Weaver and about employees, allegedly, uh, and their interactions with John Weaver, and can't talk about it because they're under non-disclosure agreements. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. It seems like uh, they have pressured the Lincoln Project, who says that they will acquiesce and allow them to get out of these non-disclosure agreements. It's great. I, I guess what I love most about this is, of course, like the stunning hypocrisy of the whole thing, where you know you got Rick Wilson, another co-founder of the Lincoln Project, talking about Donald Trump and NDAs and how every Republican's complicit in every possible thing that happens in Republican politics, suddenly this is all just uh, one bad apple. Yeah, (laughs) right? Nobody knew, great guy, kept to himself. He was pretty (laughs) quiet, you know? You know, we, nobody knew. How could we, how could we know? How could we know? Bullshit. It's not like he's had the worst reputation in the history of elected politics for the last 30 years, which he Yeah, has. that's another thing is like, you know, when it first started coming out in the public about this, Rove said, I warned people 20 years ago and no yeah. journalist wanted to touch that. That's right. That's right. But here's the thing. So MSNBC, which is basically, I, I think the Lincoln Project this is the first time I'm going to say this, but I, I think it's true. I think the Lincoln Project is basically the political arm of MSNBC, right? Yeah, right. I think that they basically hired all of the operatives at the Lincoln Project as contributors to MSNBC, aired them throughout their primetime coverage every evening. And they basically were, were there to execute the political goals of the hosts of MSNBC. I mean, and, 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 you know, that is an easy transition for someone like Steve Schmidt who lives on that with Nicole Wallace and the rest of them to take the political goals of a progressive left and make them actionable, which is what they did. But now that you find out that they are employing, you know, alleged pedophiles and, and, Misusing the, the the funding that they've gotten from the resistance left to the point ninety where they, million dollars. I mean, they just paid themselves, right? What does MSNBC have to say about this? Have you heard a word? Nope, not no. a peep. You know, uh, this is funny. Someone tweeted at me. Uh, Kurt Bardella has removed senior advisor Lincoln Project from his bio, but they his announced- photo is still of him doing his MSNBC head. Right. They announced him coming on to Lincoln Project live on Morning Joe. Did they really? Oh, like, oh God. Like oh, it was the fucking moon landing. 
a guy gets hired at a super PAC and they take it live on on national cable television. I mean, like you were saying, Holmes, um, you know, MSNBC and the Lincoln Project, one hand washed the other. They were part of the same ecosystem to grift their viewers out of dollars and for ratings. And of mm-hmm. course, it was all bullshit. Scam. A complete scam. In fact, we've learned a little bit more about that alleged scam from the leaked DMs of Jennifer Horn, which the Lincoln Project tweeted out and then deleted. And there's a lot of controversy of whether, you know, she says, of course, I didn't consent to have these DMs be released. And Twitter now says that this is not a a violation of their hacked uh, materials policy. Doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, But the thing that's really uh, funny about it is I I saw this great tweet from uh, this guy, Jimmy Princeton, uh, which kind of sums it all up. Our co-founders DMs were a complete surprise. Also, here are the DMs of another co-founder for your reading enjoyment. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I like I like this tweet from Greenwald. He said, everything scummy, dirty, unethical, dishonest, and scamming about uh, Lincoln Project was completely known and obvious over the last 18 months. Journalists and others in liberal politics are willing to admit it now only because with Trump vanquished, there's no more use for them. That's That's the story to me. That's the story to me. That's the point. We all knew it. We all told everybody, if you've been listening to the program, we've been talking about this since day one, basically. And and every one of the journalists that we know who just sort of like patted us on our heads and told us like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're bad guys. I'm sure they're bad guys. No, they really are bad guys. They actually are terrible guys. And the, the thing is, is that the allegations now that have come out in the Associated Press, the New York Times and elsewhere claim that not only did they know about his abusive behavior, but that it may have very well have happened at the Lincoln Project. Mm-hmm. That they might have employees that while they, while they knew about his behavior, subjected their employees to this guy. I mean, that, that is the scum of the earth, man. That's the worst possible situation. And I, I just... It's not enough. It's not enough. Like whatever criticism they get is not enough. And, and the media should be held accountable for being complicit in it for the last 18 months because they thought it was better that Donald Trump be defeated than them tell the truth about these people. And we can never, and this is a good thing for everyone who listened to this, this program Mm -hmm. uh, to realize is that when it's Republican on Republican infighting, you can never count on the media to tell the truth. Yeah. They will always cover for these scumbags because they think at the end of the day, let them fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it's as right. simple as that. That's it. That's as simple as that. And it, like the bottom line for me is I'm going to stay on this until Nicole Wallace dedicates an entire half hour, hour, however long her shitty program is to apologizing to her viewers for putting these scumbags on the air and asking for donations to the tune of $90 million to go pay themselves and ignore rank, disgusting, potentially criminal activity within their, within their organization. 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's nuts. I am so, listen, this morning watching Republicans just tap dance on these assholes, it just put wind beneath my wing. <laughs> yeah. You, and, fact, and like I said, you. we told you so. We, we told you so, folks. know that you're my hero. <laughs> you are the wind beneath my wings. I mean, it just did. It's just a Friday. Let's have some fun, right? right? What do we got next? So it's a Valentine's Day. Oh, what a treat. It's coming up. Hey, fellas, if you haven't gotten anything, get out there. You're running out of time. Sunday. <laughs> Sunday. Um, but a very special development here uh, in the nation's capital on, a, on Valentine's Day is about a, a lucky new couple, one in the White House, one in journalism, printed today by Vanity Fair. And the backstory of this is quite amusing. Um, Alexi McCammon is a journalist with Axios and TJ Ducklow is a spokesman at the White House and they have uh, formed a new relationship some months back, which is a, a fun little story. If you read about in People Magazine, uh, these two just enjoying their lives together and it's kind of a fun new power couple story. Well, the only reason that that story exists is because Politico was about to break a story about the very real ethical problems with McHammond covering the Biden White House while her boyfriend fed her the deets, right? And Tara Palmieri, who is part of the, the new crew at the playbook, was investigating all of this. And Ducklow, apparently, as they're getting that investigation, went around them to drop the story into people to make it sound like this was, yeah, there's no ethical problem. This is a fun new Valentine story. So can you explain that a little bit for our, our listeners here who aren't as familiar with the way, you know, the sausage is made when it comes to some of these stories. So they went around them. What does that mean exactly? So th there is particularly amongst young and inexperienced uh, communication staff, there is a tendency to field an incoming request from a journalist that you know is gonna be a bad story, right? It's, there's a liability in it. And instead of trying to deal with that liability, you go to another outlet, in this case, People Magazine, to try to reframe that story in not a negative light as the inquiry came in, but a positive one as they did with people, right? So instead of, this is a horrible conflict of interest, a terrible situation for the White House and for Axios, they go to people who, who just stenographer uh, out a story about how it's a wonderful love story. Oh yeah. Right? And the reason I say that inexperienced press hands do this is because the only thing that that creates is- A, a permanent job. fucking enemy, permanent <laughs> fucking enemy, right? <laughs> jihad <laughs> you you now you've created a journalist who will spend all day every day in your panty drawer looking for everything that you possibly have done wrong which is i think what's happened here <laughs> so so today in the end uh vanity fair prints a story that gives a little bit more color to all of this um, that says that 
that TJ Ducklow called Tara Palmieri to say that he would destroy her. This is the Politico reporter. If she reported what she said she was trying to report. Oh, yeah? Yeah, shit. Team Ducklow. <laughs> Hell yeah. Finally, people are waking up to the journal threat. smug. That's my take. That's the kind of consistency that people look for <laughs> in these times. <laughs> Just so trying to like, imagine, I'm trying to imagine somebody from the Trump administration, you know, saying that, uh, you know, to a reporter and sticking around. No, they, 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 they don't. They're, they, they would be, first of all, it would be a 10-day story mm-hmm. until they resigned, you know. But anyway, so Vanity Fair writes, I just want to read this because I think it's, I think this provides some really good context to it. During an off-the-record call, Ducklow made derogatory and misogynistic comments accusing Palmieri of reporting on the relationship. So, okay, so let's skip down and find out what that is. <laughs> he says that, she, that uh, Tara Palmieri was jealous because an unidentified man, and I'm quoting out of the article here, I'm not making any of this up, Jealous that an unidentified man in the past had, quote, wanted to fuck McHammond and not you, unquote. Wow. Is this fucking high school? Is this high school? How comfortable can you be in a professional setting to have this conversation with a reporter? That's next level. Are you kidding me? I mean, dude, it's 2021. Anyway, it goes on. Ducklow accused Palmieri of being jealous also of his relationship with McCammond. Uh, So apparently, I mean, basically he's trying to like beauty shame, I guess, uh, (laughs) Palmieri on this and like, and like bully her out of reporting. And then when that didn't work, they went to people magazine. It is an incredible indictment, not just of, I mean, Ducklow, obviously, but it's an indictment of the media itself that he like thought that this would in some way be appropriate, that their relationship is that sort of way that he could talk to another reporter, like to a reporter that way is like insane to me as a Republican, right? Like, because, and like, here's the thing, we deal with reporters all the time and, and I'm happy to have a collegial relationship with reporters an adversarial relationship with reporters, all of that's part of our profession. But to say this shit to a reporter is incredible. I mean, what he's saying is the only reason you're reporting on my relationship with a reporter who covers my beat, who covers what I do for a living, is because you wanted to screw this guy and he wanted to screw my girlfriend instead. (laughs) That's basically man. Incredible. I mean, wow. This is high school level stuff. It's just, it's just incredible. But the, the bottom line of it is this is a reporter who covered the transition of the Biden White House while TJ Ducklow was the transition spokesperson. And that was why it was newsworthy. It wasn't like some ridiculous page six inquiry. Right. It was, it was that this is, this is a reporter who was getting some pretty significant scoops out of the transition. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I get it. 
Now I know why you got the information. Anyway, so the, the, the long and the short of it is the White House has now taken action to suspend Ducklow for a week, I guess. A week. Yeah, a week. I just, to all the Republican flax who are listening uh, in their cubicle right now, wondering how their careers would be uh, altered if they took the similar approach, um, you know, you'd be flying back home to Indiana. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> you only a Democrat can get away with something like that. Incredible. So anyway, that's our Valentine's. Very lovely, uplifting. Uh... <laughs> that was a very happy Valentine's Day segment. It's what yeah. you'd expect from Ruthless, right? That's exactly. That's exactly right. We wanted to talk to Rand Paul because uh, we hadn't paid enough attention about to the impeachment deal because it was a little bit boring to be honest and uh, he's been leading the fight since the very beginning against impeachment and has been paying close attention to it and I think he basically summarized the arguments in 10 minutes it was really really tight thoughtful stuff he's, he's a great guy I've known him for a, a lot of years but he's he's also uh, really effective and he's a total pit bull when it comes to making his argument in, in public. So let's get to that interview. Senator Paul, welcome to Ruthless. Thanks for having me, I think. Yeah, well, no, we'll take it easy. We try to keep it lighthearted here, but, uh, but it would be impossible to ignore the leading role that you have played here over the last few weeks in fighting impeachment. And uh, everybody's taking notice. You've been on every one of the cable news shows and we wanted to get your take on uh, where things stand at the end of the first week here? You know, I think one of the most important things that came from the Democrats on the House impeachment side was they've admitted that they're not impeaching President Trump for his words. And I'm like scratching my head and saying, well, you're not impeaching him for his words. He, he supposedly incited violence. If he didn't do it with his words, how did he do it? But the reason they've taken this approach is a couple things. One, when you tell people to march peacefully and let your voices be heard and fight like hell that your voices be heard, it's a little hard to differentiate that from any speeches that Democrats have given or other Republicans, frankly, have given. Now, the violence was terrible. The violence was despicable. Even the debate was wrongheaded and a misguided notion. I voted to certify the election. Do I think there was problems with the election? Yeah, and I'm still trying to fix some of the election problems we had with people changing the law, I think, illegally without the permission of the state legislature. I'm still trying to fix that, but I didn't think Congress should overturn it. So I disagreed with President Trump. But what I'm worried about is if we make the standard for violence, go fight, win, fight for your country, that somehow you're responsible for what crazy supporters might do, you know, we'd put everybody in jail. I mean, Bernie Sanders supporters shot us up at the baseball field. Does Bernie Sanders deserve to go to jail? Not only does he not deserve to go to jail, we never once implied that. We actually downplayed it because we thought it would be very unfair to blame, you know, Steve Scalise almost died. He has permanent injuries from this. It was a horrific shooting. One of my friends was shot under the arm. The bullet came out of his chest as big as a softball. I mean, it was a horrific shooting, but nobody blamed Bernie Sanders because frankly, we are better people than they are. Just really to tell me it's a deficiency in character that they think that they're gonna blame a political speech on the crazy actions of a mob. Well, that's a very well-taken point. Um, you've also made what I think is a pretty powerful case against the constitutionality 
of this entire process. And in fact, at the outset, pretty much, I think, probably previewed what we're likely to see at the end by forcing a vote on the constitutionality of it. You know, it became very clear, obvious to me as we were having a phone call, the Republican caucus was talking about this coming up and they said, well, the chief justice isn't coming. And I said, what? The chief justice isn't coming over? And at that time, they weren't actually telling us how it worked out and they may not have known, but Chuck Schumer called him up. Chuck Schumer has admitted he called the chief justice up and he said, hell no, I'm not going across the street because we're not impeaching the president. Mm -hmm. So now we get a proceeding without an impartial judge. The guy sitting in as the judge is a partisan Democrat who's already announced. You talk about jurors. He's already announced he's for the impeachment and he's the judge which brought up sort of a funny episode the other night as we were finishing. I sit next to Mike Lee on the floor and all of a sudden there's this big commotion. I was getting ready to leave because I was ready to get the hell out of there. <laughs> I bet. Boring as hell. But all of a sudden Mike Lee pops up and he says, under rule 16, the house management have lied about me and lied about something I said. And I, I demand that it be struck from the record. So then the guy in the chair making the decision is a partisan Democrat, Pat Leahy. And I don't hold any ill will against him. I've worked with him on civil liberties issues, you know, but the thing is he's a partisan Democrat. So he rules against it and says, oh no, they can say whatever they want about you, Mike. But of course, no one could hear him because he had three masks on and he's, he, he's not the most distinct enunciator anyway, right. which is one way of putting it. And so he's going on and on and I'm yelling, take your mask off, take your mask off, we can't hear you. And uh, I still have no idea what the motion was because see, you know, the parliamentarians turning around telling him what the motion is. And it's like, according to rule 32B subsection 14, uh, you're allowed to say whatever you want about Mike Lee. And then nobody could, and then we're voting on a motion and then they stopped the vote in the middle of it. And finally the house managers retracted it and said, oh, but we reserve the right to bring it up again some other time. Well, I, I saw that. It was confusing as hell. I didn't even know really what was going on other than the fact that, that Senator Lee obviously felt like they were taking a, quite a bit of liberty with what happened. Yeah, well, the thing is, it all started with the crazy idea. Right before the riot started, President Trump calls Mike Lee on his phone on the floor. Mike Lee goes, you're not supposed to have your phone on the floor, so we have to talk to Mike about the rules. Right. Mike answers his phone on the floor, and the president says, hey, Tommy, hey, Tommy, what about, you know? And uh, so he says, are you trying to get Tommy Tuberville? Yeah, Tommy Tuberville. Just talking. So he passes the phone off to Tommy Tuberville. About that time, Langford's in the middle of his speech, and the doors are, you know, being beaten yeah, on. Right. And uh, at that point, the House managers read an article characterizing Mike Lee as saying the president was calling to get uh, uh, further objection to the electors. But Mike Lee said that I didn't really, the president didn't say that to me. And you're characterizing my speech. And I'm the only one that heard it. I'm the only right. witness to the speech. And I say, you're a damn liar. Yeah. And, uh, and then they, that's when we had this big fight. It was the only interesting part of the impeachment ceremony so far completely. The whole proceeding, that was the only interesting point. Well, I noticed, I noticed that the senators are having to entertain themselves a bit. And when you get into the redundancy of the program here, and one of the things that has been reported is that you've got a little doodle pad going on. You know, I'm not much of an artist, but I can trace. And on my, on my pad is a, uh, there's a faint impression of the Capitol. And so to while away the 16 hours of Democrats <laughs> lecturing me, can you imagine having to sit still for Eric Swalwell? No. All right. 
look, here's a guy accused of consorting with a Chinese spy, and I'm supposed to seriously let him lecture me? Yes. They get up there, and these are political tirades. These are political lectures. So they've shown us about 15 hours of footage of terrible violence, and I, and I do take that to heart. The violence was terrible. I think the debate was misguided. But they, they take a leap from that where we could all condemn the violence. We could even maybe many of us even condemn the debate, say it wasn't advisable what the president did. But to go forward and then say, oh, the president's responsible for it because of his speech, one, it, it defies all definitions of what incitement is. They say, oh, well, we don't need to, it's not a legal proceeding, but you're using a legal word. You're using the word incitement. If it has no definition, then don't use it. Right. And there right. is an argument about speech. They kind of say, oh, the First Amendment means nothing. Well, yeah, we're, that's not true. We, we, our tradition and our courts have been very strong at protecting political speech. And they say, well, it's not protected from impeachment. Yeah, they're right about that. But it is protected in the sense that we only say speech that incites violence very specifically. If I tell you, go kill your producer, you know, right now, that's very specific and very, and I'm saying this figuratively, of course. Uh, <laughs> Man, not literally, all right? <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, that's the thing is, is they've dumbed down something and really taken a position that is an absurd position. And that's why I think almost no Republicans, in fact, I think there's a few Republicans who may have thought it was constitutional to go forward that might in the end come back. Well, now, that was, we're all, yeah, that was, yeah, that was we're all heavily question. influenced by the violence and everybody objects to it, but people have to realize the next step is a big leap to uh, condemn a politician and say the politician's responsible for the violence of someone who uh, is a, so ostensibly a supporter of theirs. That's really interesting. Okay. All right. So that's the good preview of what we can expect at the end of this vote. I got three questions we asked every guest that comes on. I'll just rapid fire them at you. The first one, which I'm interested in with you, is your last meal on earth, what would it be? You know, I'd probably go vegan because I've been eating red meat and carbs my whole life. I would probably need to slim up just a little bit if it's going to be forever. So I'm not, I don't want a big lush meal because I've been doing that my whole life. I got to probably slim up a little bit to go to heaven. So there's this where I'm going. There's a strategic component to your last meal. I like it. Actually, I'm thinking of the future. I'm not thinking it's the end. I'm thinking of the next stage. And I okay. want to be slim for eternity. Who that's, want to be, you know? that's smart. I mean, we haven't had that. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. All right. So the second question is, if you weren't a senator, you're no longer in politics, what is it that you're doing? Uh, professional baseball player. Yeah, there you go. But there's only one thing missing. I never quite had the talent to be a professional baseball player, but that's what I would be if I could be anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, you can play some ball. You can, you can uh, definitely play some ball. Well, you know, it's, it's sort of when the standard is so low that you're comparing yourself to other congressmen trying to play baseball. You know? <laughs> so I, I told people when I first went out for the congressional baseball team that just not being on oxygen, you know, showed yourself to be above the sort of the standard level. So... If there was a Senate-only league, the oxygen tank would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then we'd have to have no smoking, of course, because of the inflammatory problem, you know. That's right. That's right. So third and final question, what motivates Rand Paul more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Uh, Got to be agony because uh, everybody likes victory, but if you want to be motivated, 
And I think if you think about it, even in a serious way in your life, uh, you're motivated by your defeats and by overcoming things more than you are, unless you're Tom Brady and everything goes right your whole life. And it's like the guy can play football forever. That's just not right. Uh, you know, not I think right. you should have to wear like extra weights on his ankles and maybe, you know, have to have one hand tied behind his back. And he's, it's just not fair to have that much talent. You know, if that guy comes back to the Super Bowl next year, we got to investigate. There needs to be a Senate investigation because it's just not human what's happening there. Yeah. Well, once we get the government to take over the genetic technology of who all the next uh, generation will be, we're just going to say you can't have that many good genes in one person. He should have to share. And really, with socialism coming around the border, really, there should be a more equal distribution of genes. I was just going to say the ultimate distribution policy, Senator Paul, that you put your <laughs> finger on it. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. I know you're really busy. I'll let you get back to it. But I want to thank you for your time. I think this is really, really useful. And always appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Josh. Good to see Thanks. you. Yeah. So he's kind of funny, too. Yeah. That's solid, man. I mean, that's a get. Yeah. Shout out to Ruthless. I mean, we get one of the folks who are in the room that are going to be deciding what happens to weigh in. So, as it's happening, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we had to mm -hmm. keep the interview a little bit short because he actually had to rush onto the floor to hear the arguments. So this is... Uh, this is great stuff. We have a list a mile long, to be honest with you, Smug. You, don't have, you haven't even seen this, of lawmakers and political types who have uh, expressed interest about getting on Ruthless. So at this point, it's about slotting everyone in. <laughs> so I'm going to say that was, in my opinion, and I think everyone will agree, that's an excellent emergency pod. That's some solid Friday content. And let's wrap this one up. So until next time, Minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.